Before I begin, I just want to uh, say it's a real honor and a blessing. My name is uh, Paul Swanson, and I'm, uh, I've served a lot of different roles, I think, over the past 10 years here. Um, and um, it's an honor and privilege now to uh, be in prayer for many of you. And uh, as we kind of see where this prayer ministry goes, and also to speak to you and to hear your concerns and thoughts, as I very much enjoy counseling and and um, so it's an honor and privilege to be here today. And I, I want to say at the beginning <clears throat> that over the past 10 years, I've seen uh, a lot of growth and development, in, in, uh, specifically in Pastor Dave. And I want to encourage him in front of you to say it, it has been an honor and a privilege to serve with you and to work with you and to see how God has taken you and shaped you and formed you and it is apparent that you are faithful to God and that God has been faithful to you. And I want to thank you for the courage, the strength, and the spiritual drive that you have to do what God has called you to do. So I, I want to thank you very much, Pastor Dave, for that. It is, a, it is truly a privilege to, to minister with you. Yeah, being a, being a minister is not, um, it's not easy. Um, and, and it's some, most people who do it are called, some choose to do it for power reasons, but um, that would, being a minister and being in ministry full time um, is something that God hasn't called me to at this point in the sense of a physical church. Um, but obviously we are all ministers of the gospel and wherever we are and whatever we do, whoever we face and come in contact with, obviously God is using us to minister. And I think that's an important thing to remember as we get into the word today, um, because there is a, a definite compartmentalization that is, is taking, well, we're Johns, and these are Jesuses, and how do they mix, and how's all this going to work out, and, and it's just beautifully illustrated in this story today as we begin. As Pastor David said many times uh, about John, and that is the Apostle John, the one who wrote is that he, he really does write uh, to an early church, and, it, and it, a lot of the themes that he'll talk about actually are things that the early church faced uh, long after his passing and, and uh, during the time of uh, the Apostle Paul and then even beyond that. And uh, you, you get a really clear sense, once again, that there is a physical part to what is being spoken, but then the underlying spiritual is what John is really hitting at. And that's the thing that we need to be able to see today. Because the physical is just water. It's just getting wet. It's just doing a cannonball. But the spiritual is God's transforming power through Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to encourage you to see today as, as I go through this text. That there is this spiritual strength to this scripture and to, and to how John writes that we need to be very in tuned with as we uh, read God's Word. So I want to just start out today by reading. Um, we're going to be in John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. And um, as I read, um, maybe pull out a couple of things maybe you haven't ever seen. I think for this uh, community Bible experience that we're going to be having, my hope and prayer is that we will be so able to read God's Word in a different way that we'll have questions for each other as we gather together once a week and, and we ask, you know, God, what, what would you have me to hear? What would you have me to learn? 
through your word. And so as we read even today, pick out a, a phrase or two that maybe you had never thought of. And maybe I'll hit on them, maybe we can talk about it later. But let's, let's read God's word. John three twenty two through 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put into prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone's going to him. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom, and the friend who attends the bridegroom awaits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater, and I, I become less. The one who comes from above is above all, and the one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. As we get into the word today, we can see very clearly that um, this passage really is about, it's about a brokenness that results in the kingdom of God when Jesus is made to compete with humanity for truth in this world. This passage is dripping with truth, but how many people got it? When John the Baptist spoke, did they undid his disciples understand what he was saying the truth was being spoken but did they really understand my hope and my prayer today is that as we read this word and as we hear the truth that we will not only be hearers but also doers that we will listen to what God has to say to us and that we will be able to go and to do his good pleasing and perfect will let's bow our heads in prayer holy father I thank you now as we get into your word, we just thank you and praise you that you are here, that your spirit is leading and guiding. And Lord, you know each one of us. You know each one of our concerns and our problems. Lord, you know our faults and our flaws. You know where we are and what we need. And so, Lord, now as I speak, I pray that you will help our ears and eyes to be attentive to all that you have to say. And Lord, that I will be quiet and that you will speak. I thank you and I praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's jump right into verse 22. The first words, after this. Well, what is after this? Well, we know previously what happened. Nicodemus got a smackdown, right? So Nicodemus came and, and kind of in his innocence, but still kind of trying to figure it out. And Jesus just said, look, this is what it is. And, and it culminates in that beautiful, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
what a beautiful testimony. What a beautiful opportunity he had to, to speak and to share. What an incredible challenge that is, that we, that we understand that we are loved with ever, everlasting love. And we are loved so much that he did not come into the world to, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, my brothers and sisters, this morning, this is salvation. Salvation in its purest form. Today, I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe you've been saved for many years, and maybe you haven't been saved a day in your life. But I will tell you this today, God is calling you. God is calling you to a deeper walk than you ever have before. God is calling you and challenging you to step out and to step up and to hear what he has for you and to obey what he, what he is commanding you. Well, Pastor Paul, how can I do that? Because I don't even know him. I don't even understand him. Maybe today in this, in this time, maybe you'll get a little bit, a little taste. So we have after this, he's talking about in reference to Nicodemus, the Jewish leader who was from earth, Jesus, who was rabbi to those on earth, but then he was also savior to those on earth, and he was also God incarnate. Do you see the difference here? Do you see where we're going with this? We have, a, we have a quick comparison here. A teacher of the law and the son of God. And we, see, and we see Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. I want to make a note here real quick in 4.2, the next chapter, it says, differentiates specifically that Jesus did not actually baptize with water. And I think that's an important point that we will remember, and here's why. Can you imagine if in the early church... All the people who had been baptized specifically by Jesus were able to stand up in front, and all the people who maybe had been baptized by someone else or maybe hadn't had that close of contact, that they, they may not have as much privilege, as much honor. See, that, that's what we do, isn't it? Do we ever give more honor because we've encountered something, because we face something, because maybe there are some of you today who would say, God's not, I've heard this before, God's not done anything in my life. I don't have that miraculous testimony. I don't have that thing where, you know, um, a skyscraper was going to fall on me and God told me to turn the other way and drive and then it fell right behind me and God saved me. I've heard that a lot. I don't, where's that big testimony? Where's that moment in time? Where's that flash of light? Where's that time where I can say, God definitely did this. And so it, it, was, it was important specifically for us to note that Jesus did not baptize with water. Um, Jesus was trying to bring a focus on the spiritual, not on the physical. This baptism was physical and represented repentance and forgiveness, and Jesus would later baptize with the Holy Spirit, which did not include physical water in John 20, verse 20, chapter 20, verse 22, where it says he breathed on them. So we continue on in verse 23. Now John, who is a leader, Jewish leader, who is a prophet with heavenly understanding, but is still from earth, was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This is one of the only recorded occurrences of Jesus and John the Baptist ministry existing together. The other Gospels appear to actually show Jesus' begin, Jesus ministry begin after uh, John the Baptist's arrest and Jesus had gone north to Galilee, which he actually does in the next chapter. 
So this little story here may be the one that gives us the one right before he was, before John the Baptist was arrested. It's, it's just kind of interesting to note. I also want you to really quickly, uh, actually I'll, I'll hit that later, uh, the name uh, Anon um, Selim, I'll talk about that. And then it says in, in verse 24, this was before John was put in prison. The apostle, doesn't, the apostle John does not record the story of, of um, John the Baptist's arrest, but this account actually completes the picture. Again, it's showing an interaction between John the Baptist's disciple and Jesus and, um, and John the Baptist's godly response, and that's the key there. We understand the heart of John the Baptist. We see it in, in one when he says, I'm not the Messiah. It's like this guy, he, what he needed to do is tattoo it on his forehead. I am not the Messiah. Stop looking at me as the one who's going to save you, who's going to bring salvation to your life, who's going to help you. I'm not the Messiah. I'm the one who is pointing you to the Messiah, but I'm not the Messiah. And that is a very, very important uh, distinction there. So we have in verse 25, we start out in an argument. Now, wait a minute, time out. We have an argument. What is this argument about? Well, there's people being saved. There's, there's lives being changed. And what do we have? An argument. Well, Anon means spring, and Salim is uh, Arabic for shalom, which would be peace. So we have the springs of peace, and there's an argument. Isn't that just like us? Thanksgiving dinners? <laughs> Christmas? Ooh. Yeah. Anybody who's had a family and has possibly had one of those Thanksgiving dinners, or this is supposed to be a place of peace, but what do we have? We have an argument. So this argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And I want to just really quickly kind of maybe explain baptism. Obviously, we know what baptism is. Baptism to us is an understanding and representation of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You start out, you go under, and you come up, and you're... Well, you've got to remember, Jesus hadn't died yet, right? So, obviously, it wasn't this life, death, resurrection, but what it was was it was forgiveness of sin. It was repentance. It was saying, I... I, I I'm going to change what I do, and I'm, when I come out, I'm going to be a different person. So that, that's what's happening here. Um, the Jewish leaders at the time really wanted to discredit and discount John the Baptist's ministry. Why? Because if they could discredit and discount John, then they could also discount and discredit everything that he had done. And who had baptized Jesus? John the Baptist. Um, baptism, and this is specific, baptism of the Jews was a threshold for a Gentile proclaiming and renouncing his former life and his intention to become a Jew. Ceremonial washing, on the other hand, was an important part of the Jewish practice. It was physical once again as a prelude to service, worship, prayer, and eating. It occurred as a preparation to commit acts that would require a person to be cleansed so that they would not uh, defile themselves um, as they consumed, as they worshipped, as they whatever. And, and if you are interested a little bit more in that, I, I was looking up Hebrews chapter 9. Look into that a little deeper, and that will give you a little better understanding of, of, of what I'm talking about. Actually, I would encourage you to read Hebrews 9, 10, and 11. Absolutely love those scriptures, love those chapters. And um, when you're doing the community Bible experience and you're reading those, 
take those and say, God, help me to see this as you want me to see this. And, and 11 is just amazing. Um, it, it is, it's always floored me. It's always, uh, I always see something and learn something new every time I read that. So Jesus and disciples are questioned about this later in his ministry. That is, is this ceremonial washing. That's being clean. That's cleansing your hands, cleansing yourself before you do, before you do these acts. And Jesus, in, excuse me, in Mark 7, um, their question, and Jesus' response being a, uh, is that being a person defiled, it does not start from the outside and go in. That is dirt. That is the physical outside going in. And that is non-traditionalism. But it is the inside out. That is spiritually, that is sin. The Jewish leaders rely on the physical to somehow attain the spiritual Their importance came, they are the sons of Abraham, and they worship at the temple. Those were very important things, and they lauded themselves, they applauded themselves regularly for that. Jesus was born from above. He doesn't need to be a son of Abraham because he is the son of God. He was born from above, and he himself, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is the temple. He is the one. He is the one. It, 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 and, it, and he even says that, that if you, in, in a little bit later on in John, I think it's later on, maybe earlier, if you tear down this, if you break down this temple, in, if you break down this temple in three days, I will build it back up. Ha! That's a joke. Well, here it is. Jesus, once again, is talking a physical, but he's really hitting them with a the spiritual, and all they see is the physical. And they say, it's taken many, many years to build this temple. And Jesus, Jesus cannot get through to them what he's trying to say. Or they cannot understand. They cannot perceive. Here we have Jesus is our new ceremonial washing. Not by means of physical washing, but by spiritual cleansing. And I tell you today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, Christ wants to cleanse you spiritually from the inside out. That is, is that he would change your heart. You would come to him as you are because only those who need a doctor go to the physician. And you would allow him to start changing your heart. But Pastor Paul, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I've done this. I've done that. You don't know all the things I've done. You don't know all the places I've been. You don't know all the people that I associate with. I tell you today, today's the day. Allow him to cleanse you. Allow him to take you. And to, and to change you and to radically shift your thinking. And then when the things that are inside you come out, the world will say to you, what's different? What has changed you? And you can do one thing. You can just do one thing. And they'll look up in the physical sense and say, what is it, a bird? Is it a cloud? What are you, what are you pointing up to? That doesn't make sense. And I'll talk about this later. They're not going to understand, but they will understand the change that has happened in you, the change that Christ has brought in your heart and life. And I tell you today, today is the day. If you want to be changed, he can change you. He can cleanse you from the inside out. Verse 26, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one who testified, you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Does that sound like uh, maybe the, uh, that John the Baptist's disciples are a little jealous? Yeah, 
Uh, do you think maybe they were wondering, okay, this is the guy right here. Well, what's that guy doing over there? Have, have, has all of our efforts physical? Have all of the things that we've done for you physically? Are all those things for naught? Are you really not that important? It's like you're getting a sense from this that, that they, don't, they haven't gotten it. They truly don't understand. So it says that it appears here even the, uh, John the Baptist's disciples bring into question Jesus' ministry and baptism. Jesus' popularity was becoming an issue for the Jew, Jewish leaders, but even to, the, to John the Baptist's disciples, seeing his influence over people grow brought great concern for those who saw John the Baptist as a great and charismatic and powerful leader. Let's look at verse 27. To this John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am, but am sent ahead of him. And John has said this many, many times, and he, re, he reiterates it again. John the Baptist had proclaimed that one would come after him who did not baptize with water, but with the Spirit, and in Matthew, the Spirit and fire. I love that. The Apostle is constantly the Apostle John is constantly, the writer of this book, is constantly differentiating between the physical and the spiritual. John the Baptist continues to point to the Messiah, Isaiah 40:30, Jesus as the one they should follow. He's saying, This is the guy, this is the one. And and then to illustrate that, he gives them this illustration in verse 29. The bride belongs to the bridegroom, and the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The joy is my, that joy is mine and is now complete. Can you hear this? He's gushing. He's so thankful that all of his life, everything that his life has meant is coming to this pinnacle, this point, and he's saying, now my joy is complete. And the only way I can tell you, I can describe to you my joy is to give you this illustration because they understood weddings and they understood the, the joy that comes from that. And now that his joy is complete, that is, is that the, the task that God had given him to be the one, to echo the name of Jesus, to pave the way, to, as, as it says in Isaiah 40, to make straight the paths in the desert. John has come to the point where he realizes that all that he is, he is meant to be has been accomplished. And then he says these words, He must become greater and I must become less. C.S. Lewis said this, We must play great parts without pride and small parts without shame. I'm going to say that again. He must, we must play great parts without pride and small parts without shame. With a total lack of envy or bitterness, John the Baptist corrects and rebukes his followers with the powerful imagery of the friend and the bridegroom as a point of reference between the honor given to the bridegroom and the significant moment that the friend has and then is gone. The friend's duty at the wedding for ensuring the safety and integrity of the bride and the bridegroom, and after that, the, the wedding day, the friend has no more duties, and his importance fades away. John the Baptist's followers believed that he was important to the future and had many great days ahead of him even though he wore camel hair and ate honey and locusts. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it appears that just the opposite occurred with John the Baptist probably being arrested shortly after this moment and ultimately being executed for his vocal objection 
to the, to the ruler at that time in Galilee, Herod, Herod Antipas, and the sinful life choices that he was making, specifically with his brother's wife. John the Baptist is telling his disciples that his joy is complete spiritually because he has accomplished the task that God has placed before him, like I said. The price has been paid. And this is, this is kind of the, the setup for what a wedding is. The price has been pay, paid. The bride price has been paid. The Father has established the covenant, covenant. And I'm not talking just physical. I'm talking spiritual. Think about this. The price has been paid. The Father has established the covenant. The plans have been made and established for the bride's arrival. And the day has ended and the marriage is complete. Now, I... You know, I, I was thinking about just going on here, but I just want to briefly say that I had an interesting wedding, to say the least. Um, Beth was there, so she would know. <laughs> but first of all, man, she was smoking hot bride. But anyway, uh, you know, that day I had thought about it for a while. And, and I have a ton of friends, and I had two brothers. And I had one brother that I really, 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 really wanted to be my best man. And I didn't want any of my friends because I didn't, couldn't choose. And I didn't have any money. I didn't have any money. And so we had one attendant each, one, one best man, one, and that's it. And, and one bright uh, maid of honor, and that's it. And uh, I had a suit. And Beth had a beautiful white dress, and it was, it was just wonderful. But the brother that I really wanted to be there couldn't be there, and it ripped my guts out. I wanted, because my, this brother James had been a mother and a father. He had been more than just an older brother. He, had, he meant everything to me. And he said, Paul, I would do anything I can, but I cannot, because I've just started this job, and I've got a family to provide for. And if I've got a family to provide for, and it's between going to your wedding and providing for my family, Sorry. But I had one other brother, an older brother, his name is Tim. And I'll be honest with you, and if he was up here today, he would tell you the same thing. He was a black sheep of the family. He had done and said things in my family that will never be uttered outside of what our family understands and knows. He was someone who had totally run from God, and he would admit it. At the age of 26, he had a heart attack. That's, that was his moment. That was his wake-up call. And for the next 12 years, he lived his life completely dedicated to God. Well, during those 12 years was when I got married. And when I saw my brother James was not going to be able to, I talked to my brother Tim, and my brother Tim looked at me in shock. He was like, I don't, I, I, you know, he didn't want to say no, but it was like he knew that he wasn't worthy to be my best man. But you know, the interesting thing is, is that's how God works things out because that made my relationship with my brother Tim something I had nothing I had no relationship at all with him because he was so much older than me. It made it that much better and that much sweeter. In fact, his children even told me later on after his passing, 12 years later, when he was 38 years old, they said to me, the one thing my dad said is that he felt honored to be your best man. And I didn't even think about it that way. All I knew is I just had to fit somebody in there. But so we know and understand it's a privilege, it's an honor to be in that position. And now the, the greatness of that position that John had is now gone. It's done. 
In verse 30, we, read, we, we think about for a minute, how can God become greater? Is there something magically I can say and all of a sudden God's more powerful? No, God has been, is, and always will be. I cannot make his power any greater to him. But what I must do is this. The answer is that he cannot become greater. He is God and he must become of the utmost importance, the top priority for all who believe in him. God is never changing and his greatness knows no end. What hinders us from God taking this place of prominence in our lives? What hinders us? And it is the simple fact that we don't allow him to. We have to allow God to take that prominence, that importance. And we have to be willing to give up maybe some self-defeating attitudes. The key is that God can only become greater in my life if I first see the lessness of myself. Whoa, 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 wait, Pastor Paul. I'm a child of God and I'm not less. Of course you're not. You're a child of God. But there's a thing in sin that's called pride. Do we overinflate and blow out of proportion our own importance and often minimize and even conceal the greater flaws that, so that the world or even God cannot judge us? Or do we bemoan the fact that we are worthless and can never accomplish anything for God? The truth is from above, my brothers and sisters. The truth is from above. And we cannot hide ourselves from the truth. This is not a conversation of how great and powerful or how low and weak we are, but how great is His power which was displayed on the cross. When we become greater, when He becomes greater, then we allow for His strength to be revealed in our weakness. Our confidence, our, our confidence in Him will become greater as we are tested and withstand those trials. He becomes greater to us when we pray and listen more and talk less. He is greater when we rely on Him for the answers to the questions that He has already formed in our mind. He becomes greater when we allow him to be our all. And as, I was, as we were singing that song, that, that, that last song, what a, what a powerful testimony that that was, and it reminded me of this exact point. Verse 31, The one who comes from above is above all, and the one who is from earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. And the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. For whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains upon him. I'm going to get through this quickly. I'm running out of time. John the Baptist is clear that he is from earth and speaks from earth, and that Jesus is from heaven and speaks from heaven, that the one, and that he is the one who is above all. John is pointing to the future and who Jesus was and also would become. He's saying to his disciples, listen to this man. In verse 32 and 33, he speaks Jesus' testimony about himself and that no one will accept his testimony. Only truth is from above. The truth does not originate from human effort. That's physical. We can read all the books we want. We can study all the things we... But it's not going to come. It's not going to originate from those books. 
but it comes from above, the spiritual. The truth is foreign to those who live in the physical and therefore is rejected as false. They do not understand, so they have no room for it in their lives. Verse 34, we read, For the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. What is at stake here is the very nature of Jesus and his authority. God's love for his Son is so great that God's limitless power is in Jesus' hands. God has given the Son the word to speak and has commissioned his Son to come to us, his creation, through the Holy Spirit. Without limit is oftentimes grabbed by, his believer, by, by Christians, by followers of Christ. And they think and they understand, well, I think I have all power and I do everything. But I will tell you this, the focus is not on the follower's power, but on the nature and authority of Jesus. Living for Jesus provides the opportunity to live as Christ lived, to love as Christ loved, to serve as Christ served, to sacrifice as Christ sacrificed, with no separation from his love, Romans 8, 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is the limitless power. That is the key. It comes through Jesus. Pastor Paul, I don't understand. What, what are you trying to, what are you saying? I don't, I don't get it. I, I, I have faults. I have flaws. I, I feel limited at every turn. What do you mean? It is this. That Jesus loves you and that he has done everything he can for you. And he says to you, come to me. Be changed. Be shaped. Be molded into my image. From the inside out, I will change you. Coming to a close here in verse 36. In verse 36, we read these words, and this is a very important point. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains upon him. I want to tell you this. John the Baptist earlier testifies that he saw the Spirit descend on Jesus as a dove, which is the spiritual. Jesus then gives the gift of life and the Holy Spirit, a gift that is distributed after his glorification. In verse 36, we also read that John the Baptist looks at salvation from the other perspective, that for those who reject Jesus as Savior, for those who reject Jesus will not see life, but instead God's wrath. This wrath is not because God is mad at them, at rejecting him. I want to do that to be very clear. God is not mad at someone because they reject him, but that the world chooses to remain in darkness, rejects Jesus, and therefore continues to live under his divine judgment. I saw my son walk out, and I wanted to close my time with this. To my children, and Isaiah's out there, so Elena, I see some of your faults and flaws, and I love you, but your heavenly Father sees all your sins And he loves you even more. I am your earthly father, but we are all his children. The world, Elena and Isaiah, are screaming for your attention and will offer you many desirable things, things that are temporary and will only leave you lost and lonely. I I may not be there for you all the time, but I want you to know that your heavenly father loves you and will always be there even if you cannot see or feel him. 
His truth is established in his word. I pray that God will become greater in your life and that you will see the truth of his love and and that the world only has to offer destruction. I say to you, congregation, your family sees some of your flaws and still love some of them, some of them, who may not be at Thanksgiving, still love you. But your heavenly Father sees all your sins and loves you even more than they ever could. Congregation, the world is screaming for your attention and will offer you many desirable things. Things that are temporary will only leave you lonely and lost. You might not have a godly example of an earthly father. There are many in this room because I have met many, many people who do not have a godly example as an earthly father. But we are all his children. The world will not be there for you, but I want you to know that your Heavenly Father loves you and will always be there for you. Even if you cannot see or feel him, his truth is established in his word. I pray that God will become greater in your life and that you will see the truth of his love and that all the world has to offer is destruction. Today, brothers and sisters in Christ, may he become greater in your life this, this day. As I pray, I invite the band to come up. Father, I thank you and I praise you for this time. And Lord, I believe that your truth has been spoken. And I thank you that they have not been my words. But Lord, I think that there are some some real heart changes that need to happen today. Maybe some broken relationships with family. Lord, maybe just the image of the wedding just brings tears to some people's eyes. Lord, maybe this they just didn't have they don't have an understanding of what a loving father is. And they cannot see what a loving heavenly father can do. And maybe some are are overwhelmed by the world around them and they they see there's no possible way out of it. They see there's no hope. Father, I believe today that you are calling us to a renewed hope, to a renewed peace, to renewed understanding of your love for us. Father, today we all can see how little we have and are but Lord I thank you and I praise you that you see us not by what we have physically but by who we are spiritually that before the beginning of time you ordained that we would come into existence and that you knew us and you love us even before we were knit in our mother's womb as Psalm 139 says and so Father now I pray that your spirit will continue to minister that you will rest upon the hearts and the lives of those in this room, and that if there are those who need a real heart change from the inside out, Father, that they would be obedient to you, that they would recognize that they do have a loving Heavenly Father, and that they are your dearly loved children. I thank you and I praise you. Minister to us, we pray, in Jesus' name.